You're listening to Popcorn Ronin with Roger and Vince. Every two weeks, they give their thoughts on movies, TV, and anime. Big Hero 6 was a superhero team recruited and organized by the Japanese government. The team comprised of such heroes as Baymax, Hero, Honey Lemon, and Wasabi, however also included heavy hitters like Sunfire and Silver Samurai. When Disney decided to work on the series, they scrapped nearly all of the existing lore for the series and stuck with the bare-bones concept of a boy and his robot. Certainly, they threw in ties to the series by also including similarly named characters, but the story as a whole is entirely different, and this is important when making the transition between comic book and animated movie. While it may have been interesting to see a truer translation of the comic book, I have to say I was far happier with this film as it was. It didn't try to be a comic book adaptation, and that's probably the smartest choice the crew could have made. What did you think? I'm definitely in agreement with you there because we even read the comic a couple months ago on our Comic Book Informer podcast. And while we enjoyed the characters, the story was largely lacking. So if you take you know the heart and soul of what the comic represented and just bring that over and do your own thing with it, we definitely ended up with something better overall. Yeah, and this is something that they talked about in that article that you had found you were telling me about where they talked about stripping it down as well. Yeah, that was actually a really cool read about uh, the approach Disney takes with their animated movies. And even they said this is an old Walt Disney thing going back to the 30s where they start off with like test screenings, which is like storyboards and fill in voices. And I, I find it hard to believe that so many of these great movies were, in, at least in their eyes, absolutely horrid, even, uh, you know, up to a couple months before release. But it was cool seeing, you know, them breaking down that process. And when you look at the finished product on most of these Disney films, obviously their process works. What I like to hear, and they talked about it in the article as well, is that they now have John Lasseter working with them. And so you have the team constantly has to go to Lassiter's with their, their pitches and changes and things like that. And Lassiter, for folks who don't know the name, although you should, of course, runs Pixar. Pixar is all about story and characters. So mm-hmm. when you look at the influence that he has in works like this, you see it so clearly because it is all about the characters. It is all about the the dynamics between those characters, their relationships and things like that. And that has a huge impact on you as a viewer when you go see a story like this that has those obvious emotional ties. Yeah, the, the, the overall driving story of the movie is just more of a vehicle to allow those characters to grow and interact with each other. And that's where the real heart and meat of the film is. Yeah, I wasn't surprised when they 
they decided to make the movie much more about Hero's relationship with his brother and also the, of course, the, the death of his brother and how it impacted him and his decision to then go forward. Because it's really a big Disney Pixar kind of plot device. What was surprising, not surprising, but it was like we didn't see that at all to speak of in the comic book. Yes, those elements were there, but they were never as impactful as Disney Pixar made them in, I shouldn't say Pixar, Disney made them in this movie. Yeah, in the comic, you had a similar relationship where Baymax, you know, his AI was built on Hero's father's brain pattern. So his relationship with Baymax there was much more father-son than a brother relationship. So seeing them change the concept, well, not even change the concept, change the way it worked, but kind of keep that core concept of having Hero have an emotional attachment to the robot instead of it just being an invention, it worked out great. Like the scene where... You know, he's depressed after Tadashi dies and he stubs his toe and Baymax comes out like I had like forgotten that that was Baymax's function. And then just like when he started up and I was like, oh, my God, this is his connection back to Tadashi. Like emotionally, it was very well handled. Yeah. And they they stuck with that in terms of like the comic book had the um, what was it? Was it? his memories that were used for the programming of the AI or I think it was just like his, his brain, brain pattern. Or it was a, it was a nineties comic book thing. Yeah. It was either part of his body or part of his mind or his memories or something. I honestly can't remember, but there was that element in Baymax that was a direct tie to his father. And that's why Baymax was so important to hero. Whereas here we see that it's, um, Baymax has all of the like the recordings of when it started, so there's there's that piece of Tadashi in Baymax through that, as well as through all of the core programming to make uh, Baymax a a robot that's a caretaker caregiver versus someone who fights in that that one little card kind of thing they did a really good job translating that so that there was still it wasn't just a robot it wasn't just a something there was a very deep personal and emotional tie to the robot and again we just talked about this on our last episode with robot and frank how just naturally humans will have will make create those those attachments to robots if the AI is is good enough to allow it. Hell, even if it's not. And here when you toss in that additional, whether it's, again, those elements that are from Tadashi, the the, the, the videos or the core programming and stuff, it it really tied the, the character in so that Baymax is a massive character in the story. So if anybody asks, we did this on purpose, right? With Robot and Baymax basically being the same character. I, I did. <laughs> you didn't think I knew what I was doing. Damn you, Vince. After this many years, a little faith was not uncalled for at this point. Well, I, at least I had no idea that Baymax was going to be like a caretaker type. So right. I, that I, caught me by surprise and it was a very pleasant surprise. It was. It was. And I, I don't know about you. I went to go see it in 3D. I didn't see it on the IMAX screen, but I did see it in 3D. Did you, by any chance, or just regular? No, just regular. I, I you know what, man? I'm, I'm freaking hooked on 3Ds. If they're well done, I get so much more immersed in the show. 
it does make a big difference. And what I think is really important is that most of the ones that are doing 3D now aren't well, the ones that I should say I should aren't um, aren't going for the gimmicky 3D. It's just that much more immersive kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So we went and seen it and I went with, uh, again, my buddy down the the road and, and I actually took my son with me as well. And we went and we sat down and watched it in 3d and, and it was spectacular. Like you were the, 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 the scenery was so well done that like when they're doing those flybys over San Francisco, well, it's not San Francisco. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's the Japanese version, but the, um, when they're doing all friends, Sokyo, Sokyo. Yeah. It's, it was so immersive. And, and we already know if you've listened to any of these prior episodes, if a show is decent or good, I allow myself to get sunk right in and enjoy it. And there were moments with Baymax there where like, I'm sitting down with two grown ass men beside me and I'm tearing up because <laughs> it was so well done. Yeah, it, it, they did create a fantastic world to go along with yeah, the characters. They, they definitely, like, it feels cohesive. And I was, again, to, to do that comparison to the comic book, I was far more impressed with the Disney-esque versions of those characters that we already knew from the comic book, like Gogo and Honey Lemon and Wasabi and, and Fred. I actually preferred these guys and was almost immediately able to relate to them better than the ones we saw in the comic book and have fun with them. Like Wasabi is fantastic in this one. Not that he wasn't good in the comic book. I know he was one of your favorites, but I love this dude. He was fantastic. And Fred was just, you can't ask for better. Fred steals the show. Yes. Because he was the best character in the comic. And again, he's the best character in the movie. So yeah, so I really liked the the cast for this. The voice acting was spectacular. I really liked that as well. But yeah, the the cast was a lot of fun, and I did like the again changing things up with the the quirky aunt that that uh, was taking care of them and things like that. So in terms of the the writing for the cast, I flat out loved it. Yeah, and that's, again, going back to the uh, the article on Badass Digest about how they built the movie. As specifically, one of the things they mentioned was Wasabi, how he was initially a very different character. And while his individual character, you know, they liked, he didn't play off the team very well. So they had to change his character to really get make him the one that the more uh, out there personalities kind of bounce off of. And that's where you see that this process of filmmaking that they use for this and all the other films, it really works. And, you know, you it's a lot harder to change a character you know, mid-production in <laughs> a live-action movie than it is in an animated feature. And, yeah, so Wasabi was great in this. Uh, for, yeah, I can't agree enough with the whole cast was just spot-on brilliant. And Alan Tidiak was one of the voices, which mm-hmm. is awesome. Wash from Firefly. He was one of the voices, not of that crew, but yeah, he was in there. I actually didn't realize until later on when I was looking through it, I was like, holy crap, it's Wash. That's awesome. 
but he does a ton of voice work. Yeah, I don't get surprised when he shows up somewhere anymore. Well, he's so good at voice work as well, too. I've been watching a lot more on different things with voice work. Um, especially, We started watching Bob's Burgers. And of Finally. Course, yeah, I know. I've been holding off on that one. But we're <laughs> on like season three already now. We've been ripping through it. And surprisingly... My wife has been watching them with me and not because it's surprising because it's animated. She likes animated as much as I do, but I didn't know if this would be her thing. And she is crying during some of the episodes. She's laughing so much. And actually my son has been watching with us too. So it's a family thing now to watch Bob's burgers, <laughs> a family that's more dysfunctional than us. But, um, but now I've been doing, watching a lot more on the, again, the voice work and the different stuff. And, Watching some of the stuff that Alan does with his voice work, it's God, if you look through his resume of work that he's done, just voice work, not even just acting, it's amazing. Some of the things you'll be surprised at some of the things that he has done. So kudos to him. Mm -hmm. So um, story-wise, again, like I was saying, they did change things up. It is, you get a lot of time at the beginning so that you have the impact later with Hiro and Tadashi. And to a lesser degree, Baymax is introduced and whatnot. He doesn't steal the show until... Well, actually, he steals it the moment he comes out, but he's kind of tucked away for a little while after that. But you have the relationship between Hiro and Tadashi that is obviously right from the get-go very uh, a very strong relationship because they lost their parents. So there's um, there's that bond there already but it's still like a little strain and whatnot because of course hero has to be the genius which that's what it is in the comic book as well so he's the genius and he's kind of slacking off his life and not trying to to do much with it i like the setting just to quickly change gears and go back again i like the setting that they introduced with the it's, it's essentially what if japan had won the war and it's a Japanese version of San Francisco, and one would assume the rest of the states. I really like that because they didn't really throw it in your face, but there were influences, Japanese influences, all over San Francisco. And it's a, a somewhat futuristic San Francisco as well. I, God, I loved the setting. Yeah, it allowed it to, you know, pay homage to its its history with the comics and definitely have that Asian flair while still being in the States. kind of, yeah. While still being relevant to the American audience. Yeah. And this helps with the setting because it helps with that relationship between hero and Tadashi. So you get the, the battle bots at the beginning where they, they fight them, which I thought was hysterical. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. You see it coming, but just the manner in which heroes, but, obliterates the other guys i thought it was hysterical i really liked it <laughs> but you again that's where tadashi comes in and, and rescues him and so you get that again that the tie in between characters and their environments and that's something that when it's lacking in a movie you don't always notice it but something kind of feels a little off but when everything jives really well together not just the characters blend in well but their environments as well you really notice it and it allows you again to get sunk in that much more. So that relationship that Hiro and Tadashi have and and then when he's saying later on, okay, well fine, if you're gonna go to another 
fight anyways. I'll take you that way. I can make sure you don't get in trouble and things like that. And then the school for the higher end robotics and sciences and things like that. I, again, it's everything tied in really nicely. And it, it, it was, I couldn't see the story taking place anywhere else as effectively. I couldn't even see it taking place, say in Tokyo as effectively as it did in San Fran, Tokyo, whatever it was again. <laughs> yeah, one of the things I really liked was that they weren't superheroes. They're a bunch of yep. nerds and intellectuals who are really good at, you know, one or two particular things. And they learn to apply those skills in, you know, more meaningful ways. And I just, I just really like that where you see, you know, actual intellectual, you know, characters that get to grow and just be more than, you know, Big Bang Theory types. Well, the thing too is that it ties in more with what, how we daydream. So whereas in the comic book, they're heroes and we didn't even like the way they necessarily were thrown together with the Japanese version of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Mariah Hill. And we didn't necessarily like the characters all that much at times either. Whereas with this, it's more of a regular people, regular, very smart people suddenly deciding to be so much more in order to help avenge Tadashi's death and things like that. So it's more like, again, we can relate, not relate, but relate in terms of our own little daytime fantasies of, you know, if I was smart enough and I could make a suit, I could, I could be a bad kind of thing and, and I could make it happen and do it. And it's just that fun thing. Whereas again, the, the comic book is just they're heroes. This is who they are. And there's not that transition that allows us to relate better. And that's what makes Fred so great. Yes. Because he's not the genius. He's, he's the one that kind of pushes them into the superhero direction and absolutely owns it and really makes the team gel together. Fred and who is there was someone who's Fred's father again. I can't remember. Well, that's the big reveal at the the end of the post credits tease. Who the hell was it again? Oh we didn't stay till the end. Oh so well, I, you saw a little bit of it when they walked in. There was a very familiar character in the, the family picture. portrait. Who the hell was it again? I'm trying to remember. And it turns out his dad is Stanley. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Who was like an international, yeah. like actual superhero in this universe. I'm going to have to look it up. It must be on YouTube to see the end. Again, I was with the others and everybody's getting up to leave. And I was like, well, I'm not going to make everybody stay just for the end credits, even though I know there's going to be something. at the Yeah, end. because when they were hanging out at Fred's mansion, he's like, yeah, my parents are out of town again. Like you could tell there was like some sort of depression with the character that he didn't have a good attachment with his father. And then to find out at the end that his dad was like this amazing superhero and wanted to kind of bring his son into the, the family business. It gives a lot of hope for like the future and gives some resolution to Fred's character as well. Cool. Okay. I'll have to find it. it, it again, it must be on. on I'm sure YouTube, it's around yeah. somewhere. So, yeah. The, um, so yeah. And then when you get the, the introduction of the Baymax character immediately, we'd seen the trailers where it's basically a giant marshmallow character. And I wasn't sure how that would work in terms of trying to then, shift this into a fighting robot for later on, but they used that 
we didn't get that in the trailers, but they used that in the movie where he doesn't, it goes against his programming to fight. And even though he learns it matrix style kind of thing, which I thought was hysterical, <laughs> the, that's a huge part of the story where they, uh, hero tries by removing the, the caretaker card, but then Baymax goes ballistic and they realize they can't do it. And that's the, the huge kind of crescendo in the story where the team really comes together at that point to decide that they need to figure out another way to resolve this conflict. And again, it's, you could go in and say that some of it is, is hokey, but it's a Disney show. It's supposed to be hokey. Yeah. But I still feel that it was so well written that even though you see it coming, the performance delivers and you still feel the feels when there's those pivotal scenes. Oh yeah. When he triggers evil Baymax, like if you don't react to that at an emotional level, there's something wrong yeah. with you. <laughs> and likewise, when he finds the card later on kind of mm -hmm. thing, there's, there's so many moments there where, you know it's coming. We've seen enough Disney and Pixar movies to know exactly what's going on here. But there's a reason why they use those plot devices, and it's because they work. And when done properly, they touch on a chord kind of thing. While they go back to the same concepts repeatedly over the course of their films, they're always done in a different way that still makes it fresh and they do a good enough job of establishing those interpersonal relationships before they get to those tropes that you don't mind it at all. Like, yeah, yeah everybody knew that he, what was coming, but it would have been disappointing if that hadn't been the way they'd gone. Yeah. I like the way the team is, is brought together when, again, going back to the comic book, when you see the team together, most of the characters are already, well, I shouldn't say most, I think every one of them, is already well established to the point where they they have those stupid and we talked about this on the the comic book informer episode which for folks who are interested in that I'll make sure to link the episode in the uh, the show notes I I urge you all to to listen to the episode if you're not going to especially if you're not going to read the comic books it'll give you a little insight into what actually happened in the comic books and you, you'll be able to enjoy the movie that much more but in the comic books each of the characters is well-established and they have those ridiculous fights to prove themselves that they belong on the team and all that. Whereas with these guys, we see the training, <laughs> which Montage. is, yeah, <laughs> but it was funny. And yeah, so I, again, I enjoy that. And I liked how they decided to tie in the character's abilities with what was in the comic book. Like, again, I was wondering whether they do honey lemons purse, because it was one of those stupid, stupid things in the comic book until you realize what it is. Then it's like, oh, okay, all right, I can roll with it. It's still kind of stupid, but I'll roll with it. So I was wondering how they tied in here. And it was fun. It was silly, but it was still fun to see that little tie-in kind of thing. Mm -hmm. The best thing is that they made them all so unique as well. Like, you know, we're grown adults, so our our view of it is going to be slightly different, but... Like talking with people I know who took their kids to see the movie, everybody loves a different member yeah. of the cast. There are kids who love Honey Lemon. There are kids who love Go-Go, kids who love Wasabi. Like that is a hallmark of success that they made them all 
so unique, but everybody had their moment. Like there was no sideline character. Fred was kind of the best, let's be honest. Again, that's from our point of view. Jumping <laughs> dinosaur keiju kind of costume. Yeah, it was kind of pretty awesome, I gotta admit. <laughs> so yeah, so and then we see again the you have the the typical again story of the evil corporations fighting it out, the science corporation science department versus the evil corporation kind of thing. I again the the big reveals, which we're not gonna go into that too much because I'd like there to be some surprises for folks who go see it. But the big reveals that you see again, nothing truly original, but done in such a way that it was still fun to watch and enjoy. And I'm I'm gonna assume you saw it coming. To an extent. Like with the the stuff with uh with the daughter and all that was not expected, but right. yeah, it, it was pretty much a, a foregone conclusion, you know, that there was going to be the big twist. Yeah. But again, done in such a way that it was still a hell of a fun ride. And the, the they're not really called special effects because it's, it's all just <laughs> digital animation. But for the sake of similarity, the special effects, when you're seeing the big fights, at the end, like I said, not only were was the, the artwork spectacular for those flying vistas and whatnot, but when you're seeing the later on the fights and all that and you've got portals opening and, and those millions of freaking little bot things that he created and all that, it was really impressive. And again, at this point, I go back to having watched it in 3D. It was bloody freaking cool. Yeah, like. Who's the poor animator that had to do all those individual little microbots? Well, I'm sure that's mathed out like their hair. <laughs> but still, <laughs> someone had to go through that frame by frame, regardless of if they were manually animating it or not. Yeah, it was it was a cool concept, too, because I was wondering, again, it's, it's a plot device we've seen before. So the kid has got to come out with something so utterly spectacular that it's going to ensure his entry into the school and whatnot. And I was wondering what they were going to do. And it was really well handled. It was it was a, a cool idea, especially for this somewhat futuristic version of this, this again, San Tokyo, whatever it is. And so I was, I liked it. And we'd seen kind of what it was in the trailers, but not enough to really get the, the, how it worked and things like that. So it created a, a really dynamic effect for the, the illustrators then that when you're looking at those final scenes and whatnot and how, how the, how beating the villain the, those devices are integral to that and how they do it. It's not, they don't necessarily beat the villain first. It's let's get rid of the advantage that the villain has. So yeah, it was, there was a lot of things there that I really dug. And again, the, the quote unquote special effects were jaw dropping when you're seeing them in 3d. And again, they, there were a few moments that made you, they made you jump kind of thing, but it wasn't a, it, it, it fit in with the story. It wasn't, this stupid little, oh, let's just make him jump now. So it was really cool to see those insane scenes jumping out at you. Yeah, the animation was spectacular. Like, it's funny, like, 
you see a movie, you know, like let's use Wreck-It Ralph as an example as that came out, what, two years ago now from the same company? Mm-hmm. And there were parts in that movie where you're like, oh, this is, this is the pinnacle of animation. Yeah. <laughs> and now two years later with this, we're like, okay, Wreck-It Ralph was a joke. <laughs> like look how far they've come in two years. Well, that's how it is pretty much with each one. There's something yeah. that is spec- spectacular to look at. That said again, and, and it's like you're saying, it's it's – constantly improving i don't know if you felt the same and it might very well have been the 3d i don't know i'll, I'll know when we buy it when it comes out on blu-ray and we watch it regular but uh but that scene where he goes flying with baymax and he is flying above san fran tokyo and you see the Golden Gate Bridge and you see again they're above clouds at points and you're seeing those incredible landscapes of the not just the city but the like mountains places around the city and things like that it was like I was sitting in the theater thinking I I don't remember any animated show ever me being this impressed with with the landscape the 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 cities and towns it was jaw-droppingly beautiful Uh, it definitely came across in 2d and like that's one of the things they really nailed was just that that joy of flight like we see it so in so many movies specifically superhero movies very rarely does it have that same impact like okay like the first iron man you kind of got that points in man of steel but this was really just that joy of flying through the sky like Without an aircraft. Well, they, uh, they they say it too by having Baymax registering that the 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 adrenaline rush and all that is good for Hero's system when he scans them, mm-hmm. and so that's why he does it even more and and does the that that iconic dive that you saw in the in the trailer as well, which again is <laughs> just jaw dropping how <laughs> beautiful it was. Yeah. Okay, so any favorite scenes you want to mention or anything? All of them. <laughs> okay, let me say this. Any parting thoughts then? I love, like, like we said, like we started off with, that they had a core concept and they stuck with it. That despite all the flashy effects, all the wild characters, you know, all the, you know, the, the heroes, the villains, at the end of the day, it was still an immensely heartwarming movie of an emotional connection between this boy and his robot and all the stuff they did with that and made it big and flashy. It never changed the actual core of the film. And I really respect that. Yeah. It was a story about people. It wasn't Mm -hmm. a story about heroes. It wasn't a story about villains and things like that. It was very much a story about people, which is, of course, then something that we can always relate to better. And that's something that the comic book failed so spectacularly at that this did such an amazing job at. Again, when we look back to the comic book, Hero was not necessarily someone that you, not only can you not relate to him, but he just wasn't as enjoyable most of the time. Whereas this kid, even though he's a super genius who can create robots out of nothing, it's still someone you can relate to on a basic level because of the relationship that he has with other people and how he deals with that. So again, that's something that it's not only Disney, 
I probably give too much credit here to Lassiter than I, I necessarily should. <laughs> but when I see something like this, I see Lassiter's influence. And just because of all of the Pixar shows and like, if you saw this and you didn't see Disney in front of it, I don't know about you, but I would immediately think Pixar. Yeah. Like you look at, you know, some of the repertoire with like Toy Story. Yes, the, the the story of, you know, Andy and the moving and this and that, that was important. But ultimately it was about Woody and Buzz and their relationship or, you know, finding Nemo. It was less about actually finding Nemo than it was about his father's personal journey. And like you see that throughout a lot of the Pixar films and the more recent Disney yeah. films since Lasseter kind of bridges the gap between them now that – the story is good, but it's always secondary to the interpersonal relationships. Yep, definitely. Before we go, prior to this, we had, of course, the short film, which is the traditional thing with some of these Disney movies now. And this one was Feast, and it was a pup that's brought in with a guy buys a pup and, and or brings home a pup, I should say. And then it's the relationship between the pup and his master by way of the food that the master gives him and the how the master's emotional state dictates what he eats and thus what he feeds the dog and what the dog likes. And then when a relationship comes in, he starts eating healthy and things like that. And the dog doesn't like it. What did you think about this? I thought it was really creative. Like, I don't know. It just, it was very different in its approach. And again, it builds on again, interpersonal relationships and um, and emotional ties but in a very different way without dialogue per se and the the interactions aren't the same that you would get between two people but i, I thought it was really creative storytelling technique hmm. i wasn't crazy about it not that i thought it was bad but i really wasn't crazy about it which is too bad because the last few they've put out it was like wow love them especially the paper plane one Oh my god. Oh, the paper plane. God. Fantastic. That, that was mind blowing. It was so awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to say it was their best, but I can appreciate it for kind of taking a different approach. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't crazy about it. So. Anyways, okay. So that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Thank you very much for listening. You can get the show notes at popcornronin.com. And like I said, I will make sure to link our episode of Comic Book Informer where we talked about the comic books for anybody who's interested. And like I said, I would urge you to listen to it, especially before you see the show so that you can kind of get an idea of what Disney took from the comic books to insert into the movie, which makes it a lot more fun when you're watching. So check out the show notes. Let us know what you thought about the movie and we'll See you in a few weeks. TV and anime reviews, please make sure to stop by popcornronin.com and leave the guys your thoughts in the comments. If you'd like to hear more from Roger and Vince, check out their Comic Book Informer podcast and Internet Dragons TV gaming videos. And lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. We encourage everyone to check out his site, manellijamal.com, or find him on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs. Mm-hmm.